0: We're so glad to be with you, and uh, just so thankful to have this opportunity to come. I'm so thankful for Kenny and Lynn and for what they do in ministry, for what they mean to you as a church, and I know God is doing tremendous things with you here at First Baptist and uh, just your facility here and your people here and the good things that God is doing. Kenny, we we thank God for you, and I've known Kenny for a long time. We tie together through a pastor who was so influential in our life and so hands on in our ministry. Gene Burdett was my pastor came to be my pastor when I was a freshman in high school, and he also ordained Kenny to the ministry and, and Gene counts both of us as his preacher boys. Gene is in uh, the retirement center down in Lawrence these days, but we still keep up with him and, and as, as Kenny and I were sharing a while ago, it just delights uh, our heart to be able to carry on what was passed down to us through him because. It's the faith, and and that's what it's all about. We're living in challenging times, and what we want to do is pass the truth, pass the faith along to those who are following us. So, Kenny, Lynn, we are truly thankful for you, thankful for this church, and for what you do for us. Uh, not only here with your own people, but in our community, the Good News Club is a great blessing. I know uh, a lot about what it does at Orchard Park because my wife Natalie ministers there on a daily school day basis as she's taught school there for many years. And we know that so many good things come out. And just as you said, Brother Mark, so many kids, this is the only witness for Christ that they get. Their parents are glad for them to come there and for them to have this witness. And we're truly thankful for for your church and for what it does in a hands-on ministry at Orchard Park. And we've got a great ministry that Westminster Baptist does over at El- Westminster Elementary and uh, throughout the other schools in our county. This is a wonderful thing, and we thank the Lord for it. I uh, want to say that we are thankful for... Uh, the Lord just just bringing us together. You know, I think that good Christian unity, I and mean, we can't compromise our faith, but we're different in, in a lot of ways. But when we come together on the truth of, of God's word, that's a wonderful thing to do. So I'm glad that uh, this revival is accomplishing that. We've been praying specifically for uh, your revival in March, that God would do good things uh, in each of the meetings. And as, as you come up to, to next week, we'll continue to pray that God will just do Wonderful things. I'm thankful for Old Liberty. God, uh, I I, I don't have time to tell you this story. You you see me sometime and I'll tell you the story of of how I I came to Old Liberty. It's just that that God brought me there. And these people have been a tremendous blessing to me. I started out praying for the church and God led me to Old Liberty about nine years ago. Natalie and I and our children went out and uh, we have been blessed in so many tremendous ways, and I can't tell you, we serve a big God, and a big God works in little places in big ways sometimes that are just tremendous, and we give Him all the glory for that. But, uh, you know, the choir, they don't let me sing with them too much. They, they'll let me do narration on on some of the specials that they do, so I get to do the narration, but it's kind of like that song, Please Let Me Sing in the Choir, if, uh, if you know that one. So I just don't have a voice for singing, but but I do what I can we truly appreciate uh, Chris uh, leading this choir, Malcolm has led this choir, and, and I know one of the confirmations that I got when I went out to Old Liberty that that things were right, that I needed to be there, it was the first Sunday that I, I walked out there and that choir came in and praised the Lord, and, and I said, you know, God truly is speaking and God truly is leading. And so we thank the Lord for what you do, Ashley, I want to thank you for uh, Let me know that you wanted to sing that, <laughs> sing that part, and uh, I asked Ashley if she would do that because she sing that, sang that in her Christmas special, and uh, I've been uh, blessed by that ever since Christmas. I- I've been singing it. I love that uh, song, and I do love Jesus more than anything else. Uh, when I think about this church, I think about Westminster, and I was born and raised in Westminster, lived about a decade away from Westminster because that's what the Lord told us to do, and We did. And then God graciously led us back, and we pastored over at Faith for about seven years, before we went out to uh, to Old Liberty nine years ago. And uh, I, when I think about this church, I, I just have many good thoughts because it's a part of Westminster. Uh, I, I went to kindergarten out on Anderson Avenue. They had the kindergarten. Miss Abbott had a kindergarten in the basement of Bob Ayer's house out on Anderson Avenue. And I went to school there with maybe some of you, and you know that was a while back. Uh, Westminster Elementary was the new school, and we went out to Westminster Elementary, and we, we went to four grades there, and then we came back over to the old college street school. And we went there for fifth and sixth grade, and in the bicentennial year of this country, I walked across the stage to be promoted to junior high school, and then went over and graduated from Westminster High School in 1982, But, uh, you know, Westminster is a special place, and we have our challenges like everywhere else. Uh, But God has done so much for me in this little town and so much through so many of you. There's all kind of great stories that I could tell. One thing I do want to tell tonight is when I think about First Baptist, I always think about Dial of Devotion. Now, if you're young here tonight, you may need your grandparents to explain this to you, but we used to have telephones in the house that had dials on there. They either sat on a table or they hung on the wall, and you could dial a number, the digits of that number with your finger, you'd push the dial, and then you release it, let it go, and it would call the telephone number. And First Baptist Church had a dial of devotion, I always liked to do that as a kid, to call each week and, and to get the devotion that was there. So many other ways this church has been a blessing. We've got... Uh, my wife's mom and sister are here with us tonight, and, and we're so grateful for them and the other folks from Mount Tabor. And uh, her, her, my uh, wife's grandmother and grandfather were well, longtime members of First Baptist Church and, uh, you know, just just special people, Luther and Louise Simpson. When I think about First Baptist Church, I always think about going to my grandmother's down in Fairplay on Sunday afternoons. We'd get the whole extended family together. I hope I'm not boring you. I hope you're taking this in now. We're going, to, we're going to get to the Bible, I promise. We'd go down to Fair Play with the extended family every Sunday afternoon. And, man, I always thought it seemed like Fair Play was so far away. All my cousins and I, we would gather there. And I, 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 I always enjoyed that. It was good. But I was always glad to get back home. And we would come up the Oakway Road, we called it at that time. And there used to be little stone gates down there for where you came through the gates of the city. There's something out the cool Highway, too. But when you get to First Baptist Church, you could look over and you could see the smokestack on the mill. Uh, My mom and dad were working in the mill. My mom was actually working for Luther Simpson in the mill when they met and got married uh, back in the 50s. And so, again, I just always have a lot of special thoughts when I stand up here tonight and, and think about where I am. Because God has truly blessed and God is, is truly good. And I want to tell you tonight, I do love Jesus. And the reason I love him is because he first loved me. I've messed up a lot of times in Westminster. I've let a lot of people down here uh, over the years. But I tell you what, God's grace has always been sufficient. And I know that he loves me tonight. And I know that he loves you. And I tell you what, I know that God is still in the business of doing great things. And, and tonight, if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to the book of 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 8, and if you would stand for the reading of God's word, 2 Kings chapter 8, just look up at me when you have your place there, if you're still turning, we'll give you a moment. If I said chapter 8, I meant chapter 6, verse 8, 2 Kings 6, verse 8. Are you ready? 2 Kings 6, verse 8. Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, "'In such and such a place shall be my camp.' And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, "'Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down.' And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of, and saved himself there not once nor twice." Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing, and he called his servants and said unto them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this place, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. And Elisha said unto them, This is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. And it came to pass, when they were coming to Samaria, that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria." And the king of Israel said unto Elisha when he saw them, My father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? And he answered, Thou shalt not smite them. Wouldest thou that? Wouldest thou? Thou shalt not smite them. Wouldest thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and with thy bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go unto their master. And he prepared great provision for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away. And they went to their master. So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. I want to ask you tonight, how is your vision? I believe tonight that the greatest need of this time is that we see things the way that God sees things. That's the greatest need of all times. That's going to prepare us for where we need to spend eternity. In the book of Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18, the scripture says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Your spiritual sight is how you perceive God. I want you to look around tonight. I mean literally look around you tonight. You can look around and you can see the beautiful walls of this building. You can see the stained glass. you can see this pews. Look around you. You might see your wife, your, your husband or a friend that's with you, a, a significant person that, that's with you tonight. If you look around, you're going to take in with your eyes some things that you see. Isn't it good to see? few years ago, I'd, uh, my neighbor had given me a, a little recipe that you could mix together and, and do a little bit of washing on vinyl siding. It would bring all the junk off the vinyl siding, and, and boy, it worked really well. You just mix all these things together that would kind of cut that stuff off of there and, and bring the, the fresh look out on your vinyl siding. I got up a ladder on the back side of the house, and I was doing a little wash, and I didn't even think about putting anything over my eyes, but as I began to spray off what I had sprayed on, a little bit of that just kind of splashed back, and it hit me right here on the corner of my eye. Well, I came down off the ladder, I washed the eye, thought everything was all right, but what had hit the corner of my eye kind of left a little reminder, and that little reminder began to swell. And when I'd get up in the morning, I'd think, I don't want to go to the doctor, I don't want to fool with this. But I thought, boy, my vision's kind of a little bit blurry there. I wound up going up to Dr. Coppola, and he looked at my eye, and he said, your eye's going to be all right. But he said, don't you ever do that again. If you hurt your eye like that, you get help for it because you're putting your vision in danger if you don't get the treatment that you need. Folks, I want to tell you, revival is God's treatment for our vision. I used to think that the most important thing was get people saved, get people saved, get people saved. But do you know what the Bible teaches us? The Bible teaches us that the most important thing is to get the hearts of God's people prepared. That's why when this Bible ends, it ends with letters to seven churches. It ends with a plea to God's people to get their hearts and their lives in order or to continue doing what they're supposed to be doing for God. Why? Because if we as God's people are where we need to be, then through us God will impact those people that are in this world that are not where they need to be. When I was a little boy, <clears throat> growing up, when I was born, my folks went to church out at chalk and uh, Natalie and I were in the same cradle row, she denies this, but I remember her being in uh, that, that same cradle row with me, but my dad carried mail for a lot of years in Westminster, and uh, he had a, a substitute on his, his mail route, Vernon Landreth, Jr., and uh, Preacher Landreth, his father was a pastor, and he also was a pastor, and he was pastoring over at Toxaway. And he got Dad to, to, to come over to Toxaway. One of the other things that uh, Preacher Landreth did was he worked part-time for Sanford Funeral Home. It's good to see Brian and his family with us here tonight. But uh, he, he, did, uh, he did that, and he did some other things. But anyway, he got Dad to, to bring our family over there to Toxaway, and we went there. And there was a lady in that church that was blind. And it just always amazed me. She had a Braille Bible, and and when the preacher would preach, she would lay her fingers down on the pages of that Bible, and and her fingers would would feel over that Braille so that she could read the Scriptures as the preacher preached. Well, you know, there's a bunch of (coughs) rowdy boys that were up there at uh, that church, and and one Sunday night after church, when it was still daylight, kind of like it is now after church, uh, we we went out there, and one of those boys in that group said, I bet you can't hit that mailbox with, with a rock. And somebody said, well, I bet you can. And uh, about the time that that rock flew back and hit that mailbox, heard this voice that says, which one of you boys threw that rock in that mailbox? And we turned around, and that blind lady was standing there. And I said to my brother, how did, how did she see us? And I remember he said, well... When people are blind, when when they don't have one sense, their other senses kind of sharpen up like she can hear what's going on. You know, people who are physically blind, they know that they're blind. But friend, I want to tell you something tonight. The tragedy is people who are spiritually blind, they don't know that they're blind. They don't know that they can't see. They don't know the beauty of God in this world that he made. They they don't know the the good things that are there. Tonight I'm I'm preaching to two groups of people. I'm preaching to believers and unbelievers. This scripture is about believers and unbelievers, and it's about vision. The first thing I want to do is look at the blindness of the believer. Now, If I can give you just quickly just a a little um, history lesson that has to do with the scripture that we're looking at tonight. The nation that God had called to be his people in the Old Testament, the covenant people of God the nation of Israel. God had led them out of slavery in Egypt, led them across the Red Sea, brought them into the Promised Land. He had blessed and he had done good things. He had given them a wonderful king and their second king, King David. He had united that land and God had blessed and the temple had been built and God was worshipped there. But after David passed, his son Solomon came to the throne. It was a glorious time through his lifetime, but after Solomon passed, there became strife in that nation. And, and the northern part of that nation split off from the southern part, and the southern part was Judah, and the northern part was Samaria that we're reading about right here. And in Samaria, the king that was ruling, he said, well, you know, we don't want people to go down there to the temple in the southern part and, and worship there because if they do, they're going to be true to the king of the south and I'm going to lose my land, so I'm just going to set up some idols and we're going to worship some idols here. In the northern part. And they turned away from the true and living God. And they worshiped things made with God's hands. Do you know there's a lot of idolatry in our world where we live tonight? It sure is. There's a lot of idolatry in our world where we live tonight. Some people worship a paycheck. Some people worship Pleasure. Some people worship education. Some people, you, you just name it and there's a lot of other things that people are bowing down to and giving their lives to and they're missing the main thing, that you were made to know God and to enjoy Him forever. And there was a prophet that lived in this nation of Samaria. He lived up there in the bad place. He lived where things were bad. But you know what? God gave him a tremendous ministry. More miracles were done during the time of Elisha than any other person in the Old Testament. But he lived in a place that was a godless place. He lived in a place where the politicians had no respect for God. He lived in a place where other things besides the true and living God were worshipped. But God raised up this man named Elisha. And do you know what his name means? His name means God saves. And you know who he's a picture of? Yes. He's a picture of Jesus. You know why? Because I don't care where you turn in this Bible. You know what you've got? You've got Jesus. Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, you've got the one who can save. You've got his testimony to you. That's why there's nothing more important than this Bible. There's why there's nothing more important than being true to this Bible. It doesn't matter what the trends are in church life or anything else. The only thing that is going to last forever is what is done true to God's word. We need to catch that vision as God's people tonight. Elisha had a servant, and the Bible says in verse 15 that this servant was doing his duty. You see, he was a saved man. He was out about the business of being with God's man. He was doing the things that he was supposed to be doing. The Bible says that this servant got up early. He started his day outright. Maybe he got up to have his prayer time. Maybe he got up to to be ready for that day and to be prepared. But when he got up, he looked around him, and just as we read there in the introduction, the king of Syria, who was mad at the king of Samaria, was so enraged at the fact that Elisha had been tipping off the king of Samaria to where he was going to come to raid against him, that he sent out a legion of troops to take Elisha. So in the morning when this servant got up, when he looked around him, he saw that they were surrounded. They were surrounded by the troops of Syria. They were surrounded by horses and chariots, the the tanks of the ancient world. And this servant of the man of God was so startled that he cried out to his master and he said, alas, my master, how shall we do? How are we ever going to get out of this mess? What are we going to do? Do safe people ever do that today? Does safe people ever worry about how are we going to make it? How are, we going to, how are we going to raise our children in this godless world? Look at the mess in politics. Look at the mess in the schools. Look at all these things. What are we going to do? Well, this servant did the right thing. He cried out to the one whose name is God saves. And he said to him, what shall we do? Now the prophet had the answer. I want you to see something tonight. God always has the answer. God always has the answer. And every time, God has always had the answer. There have been times when... Uh, The church and and its life has been challenged. There's been times like the times of the Reformation where people thought as far as the preaching of the Bible and the faith, it was so isolated and so dispersed. Some people thought that everything was gone. And God stirred a Reformation and he stirred a turning back to his word. And he revived the church again. Some people today look around and we're startled. Brother Kenny and I were talking about this a while ago. So many things are changing in the life of the church. So many things, I believe, are being compromised with the faith and the life of the church. But you know what? God is still on his throne. And we need to see that tonight. And we need to remember that tonight. The prophet. He could look ahead because God gave him the ability to see by faith. And you know what he told this servant? He said, Fear not. I want to tell you something tonight where we live in 2019. There's a lot of things that just trouble my soul. Look at kids vaping. Have you seen this? Have you seen this? I mean, we we went through a generation ago knowing how bad cigarettes were and that they'd rot your lungs out and kill you and and do all these terrible things to you. And, and, And we knew that. And so now we've come to a new generation with a new technology and a new look. And so all the kids are vaping, hooking themselves to a chemical substance, abusing their bodies, leading down to death. Look at the other things. In our society. Terrible things. Terrible challenges to where we are. But you know what? God is still God. God is still on the throne. And over and over again in this Bible, God says, fear not. And I want you to know tonight, God says to you and me, God says to your church and our church and all of his church, he says, fear not where you live today. I'm still God. I'm still on the throne. Open your eyes and see that. It's interesting that the Bible says that Elisha prayed. Verse 17. How many times we would have the vision that we need to have if we just got down on our knees and said, God, I'm surrounded. I don't know what the answer is. I've got all these problems. And I don't know where to go. But to you. You know, sometimes God leads us through those problems instead of making those problems go away because that's exactly what he wants us to do. He wants us to humble ourselves down before him and get to know him better than we know him. He wants us to be more like him. Elisha humbled himself down before God and he prayed. And his prayer for his servant in verse 17 was the prayer that I believe is prayed for us tonight. Open his eyes. Open her eyes. Open the eyes of that believing person who is so troubled tonight. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how to to get through this. What am I going to do? Look to God. Because God holds all things in his hands. I want to tell you tonight, I believe in a sovereign God. I believe that he knows all about us. I believe that he knew all about us before the foundation of this world was laid. He's got everything in control. And it will change the way that you live when you come around to acknowledging that God is in control. God wants to open our eyes. Open his eyes, Elisha prayed that he may see. And the Bible says that God opened his eyes. You know what he saw when he opened his eyes? The Bible says, in verse 17, the last part, he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Elisha said to this servant, he said, those that are with us are more than those that are with them. And you know what? They didn't show up when Elisha prayed. That host of heaven had been there all the time. They're invisible. You couldn't see them until God gave him, gave that servant the eyes to see. Our God is in control, our God is over all things. And just about the time that you think it's bigger than me, you say, that's right, it's bigger than me, but it's not bigger than God. Because what is over my head is under his feet. And that's what God wants us to remember as his church tonight. That's what God wants you to remember as a saved person tonight. That he is in control. That he can deliver you from the situation that you are in. This prophet also had a work to do for the unbeliever. And this message tonight, I want us to, to think for just a minute about the unbeliever. The Bible says that in verse 18, Elisha prayed unto the Lord, and he said, smite the people, talking about these enemy troops, smite the people, I pray thee, with blindness. We might read that in get a little bit carnal thinking about it and think, well, he's he's saying, get them, God, make them blind. Give us the victory. But I want you to understand, God had good intentions, even for his enemies, when he laid this blindness upon them. They were struck with some type of, of blindness so that Elisha is actually going to get up in front of them and, and, and say, come this way. And, and they, they, still had, they still had the ability to follow him. And he said, come this way. And I'll take you to the one that you're seeking. He wasn't misleading them. He wasn't lying to them. They were, they were looking out to oppose the king of Samaria, their enemy. So he says, I'll take you to the one. I'll, I'll take you there. And he led all these troops right into the city of Samaria. Right into the enemy's city. Syria up here, an opposing nation. Samaria down here, being besieged by Syria. And suddenly, because of this blindness, they are taken in to the city of Samaria. You know, a lot of times unbelievers think, that God and his people are their enemies. That they're really out to hurt them. A lot of times people are, are scared of good and, and godly people. Even scared to be around good and godly people. Maybe somehow you got here tonight and and, and you're in that, that group. These people thought that if they could just get rid of the man of God, if they could just get rid of, of this one who was controlled by the God of Israel, that, that things would be better for them. You know what God teaches us? God teaches us that his goal and our goal is not to destroy our enemies, but to turn our enemies into our friends. You know, I told you Jesus is a picture or Elisha is a picture of Jesus. What did Jesus say about our enemies? Love your enemies. Boy, you talk about a teaching that will absolutely go against everything that we are in our old human flesh. Man, we don't want to think about love and our enemies. Do good to them who do evil to you. If somebody smites you on one side, let them have the other side. Wait a minute. I want to tell you what. God is an exceedingly loving God. And when it comes to his enemies, he he loves them. When Elisha led these people in there, the old king of Samaria, he was ungodly too. So he says, you want me to strike them down? You want me to eliminate them? And he says, no, you don't do that. You don't do that to prisoners of war. You're going to feed them and you're going to send them home. I want to tell you what. God loves the ungodly. Too many times we as Christians spend too much time blasting the ungodly, worrying about a lot of stuff and worrying about... And I mean, we need to be concerned about our society, but folks, we need to spend more time praying for the ungodly than we do criticizing the ungodly. And you know what? I believe the power of God will come through because that's the way that we love our enemies and that we help our enemies. We're just blasting those all the time just for the sake of blasting them and not showing them the love of Christ. How are they ever going to believe That Jesus loves them. I want to tell you what, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You stick reverend in front of my name, it don't mean nothing to me. I know that's not true. The only reverend I have is the Lord who gave his grace to me to save me from my sins. I want to tell you what. Saved people and lost people need to see the grace of God. We need to have a vision of the grace of God tonight save people so many times you know what we do as Christians we've been saved and we've really been saved and we've lived for the Lord for a long time and we kind of get in that performance mode don't we? I'm going to say my prayers today I'm going to read the Bible today I'm going to witness today I'm not going to curse today I'm going to do these other things today and all these things today and you know God's God's going to bless me well God wants you to do what's right but you know what God is going to bless you because of his grace not because of what you do And what you do is going to be touched by his grace and be presented as an offering to him because he gave you the ability to do it, not because you did it yourself. Too many times we get in a rut as God's people because we try to operate out of our own fleshly human effort instead of by the power of God. Man, I want to tell you, just just tell you in my own life, about the time that I got out of high school, I'd had my oldest brother to go to college. Really wanted to go to college, but I really didn't do all that well in, in school. Didn't have a whole lot of opportunities. We try to go down to Anderson, go to college, and I uh, got down there, and man, I saw this bill and I saw this part and I saw that part, and I said, "Well, I better work for the summer." And uh, after that, I, I worked for several summers, and, and I, I worked around and uh, did grocery work and sales work and those kind of things for, for several years after that. And I, I tell you, in that period of time, I, I really had a lot of things that I struggled with and I really got bitter against the Lord. And there was times in my life where I thought, I, I don't even know if I believe in God anymore. I don't even know if I believe in what I experienced back there in my life. Even though I knew that I'd been saved 12 years old and that was a real experience, God had called me to preach at 13 years old and I preached around as a you know, young person. But I questioned all those things. But you know what? In all those years, God was so gracious to me, and he watched over me. Everywhere I turned, I turned into people that that shared God's grace. Worked over in Tekoa for Ingalls for for years and and had the kids from Tekoa Falls that that God would just place them on. Good witnesses, good godly people. I had an opportunity and, and took a job running a sales route for Krispy Kreme out of greenville i moved over there and uh, i thought it was just funny well i didn't think it was funny i was really kind of mad about it i got over there and i I went to work and i found out that everybody in that outfit was an independent baptist preacher or a heathen and that that was that was about it and the independent baptist outnumbered the heathens by far and i thought this ain't never gonna jam this ain't never gonna go I, i i don't know if i'll i'll make it here but you know what i found some people who really love the lord And really shared his grace. And they were really good witnesses to me. During that time, I lived in an apartment. And uh, about the first thing I did, the first month that I was there running that sales route, left out one morning and I I was leaving out about 4 o'clock in the morning. and Running from Greenville, uh, starting with uh, Pickens County and going to Cleveland, Georgia and turn around and come back the afternoons. But one morning when I left out about 4, I had a car that stopped suddenly in front of me. And I back-ended that car. And I thought, man, I've been here a month. I'm going to be out the door now. But you know what? God showed me grace through those people who I was so judgmental of and through I, who I thought would be so judgmental of me. During that time, God really turned my life around. I repented of my sins. Gene was still my pastor. And man, you talk about somebody just welcomed me back in and open arms and the church out at Corinth, just, just wonderful people that just came by and supported me. I got so excited about the things of God. I, I had the opportunity to preach again. And man, if I'd been Gene, I'd have said, won't you go on about a five-year break and then I'll see, I'll see if you can preach again. But he didn't. He put me right back at it. He started me telling the grace of God. I got so excited that I would come over here and I'd, I'd visit the folks and, and go to church and, and sometimes I'd just stay for the Sunday night service and I'd, I'd get up early and go pick the truck up on Monday morning. And you know, one time when I did that, my neighbor in the apartment where I live fell asleep with a cigarette in his hand. And he died in that fire. Burnt his apartment completely out in my next door. It took the roof off. I've thought a lot of times... How did God work through all the people that he worked through to spare me from what could have been? I don't know how. All I know is that God is a gracious God and that he wants you to see that tonight. If you're his child tonight, he he wants you to see that he has good things for you because of his grace. He loves you just because he loves you. If you're here tonight and you're not saved... You don't know that things are are right between you and God. I want you to know tonight that he loves you. He loved you so much that he sent Jesus down here to save you. And he went to that old rugged cross and died for you. So many people think, if I can give up this, if I can do that. No, that's not how God's salvation works. It's God's gift. This is interesting. Do you know what Muslims believe about the cross? They believe that Jesus was a prophet, but not that he was God. He was one of a number of prophets. And when they look at the life of Jesus, they say, well, there's just no way that God would have forsaken his prophet and let him die on an old rugged cross. So what they say is that when it came down to time for the one to die, that they switched Judas Iscariot and nailed him to a cross. And Jesus was delivered. You know what this Bible says? This Bible says, He hath made him to be sin for us who know sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This Bible says the Roman cohort took and nailed him to a cross, and he shed his lifeblood so that we might see that God loves us. He did for us what we could never do. In that moment of time, the Bible says that the Son of God said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at that moment, he atoned for our sins with his own life's blood that we might go free. Nobody else did it. Nobody else could have done it. But he who saves, Jesus Christ. And tonight, I want you to see him clearly. I want you to love him more than you've ever loved him before. I want you to know him if you don't know him. God says that those who are without him are blind in their sin. God also says that those who are without him are dead in their trespasses and sin. But I'll tell you what, I know one who can raise the dead. And he can do that right here tonight. Just a moment, I'm going to turn the service back over to Kenny, and he's going to close with an invitation, but this is my plea to you tonight. Ask God to give you eyes to see. I don't care if you're saved or not. We all can see things clearer and better. We all can believe and be closer than we are. And for goodness' sakes, if you don't know him tonight, come to the one who is all goodness and know him. Let's pray together. Father. I thank you for your word. I thank you that it stands holy and true. I thank you for Jesus Christ, your son, who you sent to save us. Lord, I want to see you clearer than I've ever seen you. And I want others to also. Lord, our time is short. These years are flying by. I pray that you'd revive our hearts as your children. And if there be anyone here tonight that has a need, whether that's a need to, to see you as your child, clear and full, or to know you for the first time, that they would have eyes to see and a heart to believe. In Jesus' name, amen.